Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, April the 8th, 2019, and I am recording this at 7.56 p.m. Central Time. Well, this is another episode of the Hermeneutics 101 podcast, and in this episode, well, I have something special for you. You see, I'm going to present to you an audio clip. And in this audio clip, you're going to hear someone give you their interpretation of a very important Bible passage. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to listen to their interpretation closely. I want you to take notes. I want you to listen and try to determine their method they're using to interpret the passage the way they do. Now, when you're done listening, I want you then to grab as many reference tools you have available to you, either online or physically. Make sure you have a tool that you can look up the original Greek. And then I want you to start working on your interpretation of the passage. Now, this, is, this will be very difficult to do because if you disagree with the interpretation you're going to hear, you're going to set out to try to prove that interpretation wrong. That's not how we do hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is not where, oh, I hear someone else's interpretation. Now I'm going to set out to prove it wrong. No, because then you're starting with your presupposition already built in. No, you say, okay, this is how they interpreted it. Now I'm going to set aside their interpretation. And now I'm going to work on the text to try to find out what it actually says. So number one, I'm going to do observation, try to observe what's actually in the text. Then I'm going to start with my rules of interpretation. I'm going to check context. I'm going to check language. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can that I know to do so that I can try to figure out what the text actually says and what it means by what it says. If you go into it going, man, that audio clip he played, that's a bunch of garbage. I disagree with that. I, I'm going. I'm going to prove that wrong. That 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 literally that literally causes you not to be able to do hermeneutics correctly. Now I know nobody else is probably going to tell you that, but I am convinced of that because you you're you you're already starting off with this view is wrong. My the what I'm already thinking is right. I already have a presupposition, and at that point when you open up your Bible. The, you're, you've already placed on glasses that will keep you from actually seeing what's in the text. You have to set aside the interpretation you disagree with. You have to set aside the interpretation you think you agree with. And you have to say, here is the text. Presupposition set aside. Let's observe what it actually says. And then let's try to use the right methods of hermeneutics, the right methods of interpretation, so that we can then relook at the passage and go, this is what it means. Okay, that disagrees with the interpretation that heard. Oh, wait a minute, this actually agrees with the interpretation I heard. Wait a minute, this this goes against the interpretation I thought that I had. Wait, this goes against everything. Wait, okay, okay, now what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I want you to do the work. Now, after you've done your work, so you're gonna listen to the clip, then you're going to try to set aside all presuppositions, do the work of observation and interpretation. And then once you've written out your interpretation, then I want you to look up as many commentaries as you can find. Every commentary you can find. I'm In fact, I'm going to post um, in the VBC 66 app. Now, I know some of you will hear this 
and you don't have the VBC66 app, so I always have to stop for a second and explain. If you want access to everything, the Hermeneutics 101 podcast is really designed for the VBC66 app. Um, it's posted elsewhere, but that's really what it's designed for. And on the VBC66 app, I post all kinds of additional content that you're not getting when you hear this podcast. So you need to stop what you're doing, go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, uh, do a search for VBC, which stands for Victory Baptist Church, the number 66, which stands for the number of books in the Bible, VBC66, download the app, and then what I'm going to do in the Sermon and Bible Study Notes section I'm going to start posting additional sermons on this passage of scripture that you're getting ready to hear someone offer their interpretation of. That that will give you access to then basically other commentaries. And then, of course, you can find all the print commentaries that you would like online. But then I want you to I want you to then, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to hear this interpretation. You're going to do you're going to do your own work of observation and interpretation. Then you're going to look at all the other views. Now, after you look at all the other views, what you may have to do is go, wait a minute, let me go back to my interpretation. Hmm, what am I missing? Because because either maybe your interpretation disagrees with all the other ones that you read about or hear about, and you're going to have to go, wait, what am I doing differently? Um, or you may hear someone make an, especially in the sermons, make an explanation to why they interpret their way, and you may go, wait a minute, I need to go back and 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 change this or work on this. It's just a way to challenge your work. It's a way to, so you're going to start off with a challenge because I guarantee you most, I, I would think most people who hear this are not going to necessarily agree with this interpretation or it's going to be somewhat new to you. And so then you're going to go do your own work and then hearing additional views on it will challenge your work. And that's a good thing. That's a positive thing to do because you want to do everything you can. You want to do everything you can to ensure that when you're done doing the work of observation and interpretation, when you're done doing the work of hermeneutics, that what you can that what you can definitely say is I have shown respect to God's word by taking the time to try to understand it correctly and I believe that my interpretation that I currently have is the best I can come up with. I have given it my best. And you need to always be open to have that interpretation challenged in the future. But the passage of scripture that you're getting ready to hear someone offer their interpretation of it's very important for this reason. This passage of scripture is used to limit what women can do in the church. For example, this passage is used to say, hey, women cannot be pastors. This passage of scripture is used to say that women cannot teach men in the church. Right? They they cannot teach a, a, a men's Sunday school class. They some will say that they can't a woman cannot teach a teenage boys. Um, that they cannot teach men um, in a Sunday school setting, in a in a in a Bible study setting, in a small group setting, and especially with it behind the pulpit. Others, and what you're going to hear, is going to say that that's a misinterpretation of this passage of scripture. That there's a different way to understand it. Now Make sure we make sure we understand. Now, this is very important. I want to offer this as a word of warning. Even if we go with the interpretation you're about to hear and come to the conclusion that this passage doesn't prohibit women from teaching men in the church, even if we go with that idea, we still have to stop and go, wait a minute. 
What about the rest of the Bible? Even if we say this verse doesn't teach it, then we have to go, are there any other verses that would offer the same prohibition and offer the same teaching? And do we have to then try to reinterpret those? Just because one passage that is very famous to, to say a woman can't, and we can override that one, we still got to check out the entire New Testament to see what the New Testament has to say on the subject, not just one passage of Scripture. I think that's very important. But let me at least introduce the passage of Scripture because I think this is important. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Now, what I'm going to do is I am not going to read the context because I just want to introduce the idea. Then I'll play the audio and then, that, and then I'm not going to come back after the audio to offer any comments. I'm just going to play the audio. I'm going to let the, uh, where, from where the, I'll explain about the program in a, in a moment. All right, 1 Timothy 2.12, that's the key verse. Let me read it to you. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, that seems pretty clear. That, se that seems to be uh, not controversial. That seems to be not difficult. However, listen carefully. Sometimes what may seem to be simple, what may seem to be uh, difficult, may, may just kind of give us a false sense of security that could actually lead us to misunderstanding it, misinterpreting it, because it appears so simple, and so that we have to really take the time to dig in to make sure if our understanding is correct. However, there are times where a verse is obviously clear, it is obviously simple to understand, but we don't like what it says. We don't like it. We reject it. So therefore, we then make it more complicated than it should be so that we can get away from what the verse says. For example, if in 2019, there may be plenty who reads a verse like that and goes, that's, that's horrible. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's just wrong. I mean, that's almost hate speech right there in 2019. You're going to say a woman can't teach a man. She can't have authority over a man. She has to be silent. This is horrible. This is wrong. This, you know, we've got to get rid of this. And so you set out to then make it more complicated so that you can say that's not what it actually says. All right. That, that, that is a temptation. We all have that temptation. It has nothing to do with 2019. That's been true since the beginning of man. We hear God's words. We hear God's commandments. And we're kind of like, well, you know, I don't know if he really said that. I, I don't really know if that's what he meant. And we start changing it. We start adding to it. We start taking away from it. We start, we start doing everything we can to make it say something that is to our liking. But if it's God's word, it's the authority. We, we are to submit to it. And, 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 and now that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we don't try to study it and we don't try to dig into it. Oh, we study and dig into it, but we study and dig into it to find the truth, not to try to make it uh, more um, appealing to us. And I think that needs to be very much understood. All right, now let me set up this audio clip. On Sunday evenings here in Abilene, Texas, I have to drive to my church, which is located in Ovalo, Texas, which is a good, I know, probably 20-minute drive, probably around 20 minutes. And um, Sunday evenings, so our, our Sunday service starts at 6 p.m. 
So uh, Sunday evening, I usually leave here around 5.30, sometimes a little earlier, 5.25, sometimes 5.35. Whatever time I decide to uh, leave, whatever time I decide to leave, you may think what I do is I hop in the car and I turn on 91.3 FM, 91.3 FM, which is American Family Radio. Now, if you use the VBC66 app, you can scroll down to the bottom and you can listen to American Family Radio via the app along with a number of other live radio stations. But they play a program called Stand to Reason with Greg Kokel. Now, I don't agree with everything Greg Kokel says, but I agree with many things he says. All right? I mean, that's probably true of everything. But, but I always find his program interesting. I always find it informative. And I always find it challenging, challenging my way of thinking. So therefore, it makes it beneficial. So, but what he, has a t what he does a lot, of, a lot of his program is made up of, of phone calls. People call in and ask questions about, uh, you know, a Bible passage or how to interpret a Bible verse. Now, sometimes the questions are kind of like, wait, what? Now, a lot of times atheists call him in and challenge him about theism. So the, so the phone calls sometimes are very interesting. Sometimes the calls are, are you're like, wait, what's going on? But on this particular Sunday, someone called in and said, hey, I heard you mention 1 Timothy 2 before. You didn't go into any detail about your interpretation. I'm very, I'm very interested in your interpretation. And then Greg Kogel, Kogel, you'll hear, goes into a discussion about this verse. All right. Now, I, I'm going to play the, the phone call, Greg Kogel's answer, and then I'm going to play the rest of the program all the way to the end. And I'm going to do that for a couple of reasons. Um, if they have any advertisements, if they give any information about their ministry, if they give any information about how to contact them, how to, I want you, I want, I want this also to kind of just serve as an advertisement uh, so that you know about them. Because you know, if I'm going to play their clip, then I want people to also know about them and possibly can go listen to them or subscribe. So I want them to be able to say everything they want to say about their ministry at the conclusion, give you all their contact information because I think that's only uh, fair. Um, and, and I would do that even if I come one, even if this was a ministry I 1,000% disagreed with. I still like people to have the ability to go look up the information for themselves, to be able to go listen to it, uh, check everything out, and look it up. I like people to, uh, to have access to information, whether we agree or disagree with it. Having the original source available to people is critical for doing uh, proper research and study. All right, so I'm going to play uh, the rest of the program out. And then that will be the end of the audio. And when, after the end of the audio, that will be the end of this podcast. I'm not going to come back in and offer a conclusion, a conclusion thought or any concluding thoughts because the goal of this episode is simple. I want you to do the work. Hermeneutics, again, I've said so many times, if I teach you hermeneutics, but you don't do hermeneutics, it's useless. The way, and in fact, I will argue the way you learn hermeneutics is by doing hermeneutics, by being given uh textual difficulties, being given uh, passages of scripture that are complicated, and then working together, struggling, trying to find the interpretation. I do that with my church, and I know that way of teaching seems bizarre, but I literally do that from the pulpit. I present a textual problem, and then we literally, from the pulpit, are working, trying to figure it out. And we may go this direction. I'm like, well, wait a minute, that's wrong. And, and, and we have back and forth, and, and ups and downs, and struggles and difficulties trying to make it work. The reason I can get away with that is because the, the the church the church is in a good place where I can I can disagree and 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 if there is disagreement everyone everyone 
handles it in a godly way and we move forward and we move on. It's a dangerous thing to try to do that. In some churches, it would lead to just major fights and church splits. But it's great when you have a body of believers who are already willing to struggle and, 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 and work as hard as we can to try to find the truth of the text. Because that's, that's the beauty of God's word is, is God has given us his word in written form. We've got to figure it out. And we're fallible people. We're not infallible. And so we have to work together to try to find the truth. And so I want you to do as much work as you can about 1 Timothy 2. Not just verse 12, but the passage at, at, at large and, uh, and, and its context. And what is it saying? How should it be used? Um, is, the, is the way it's interpreted normally uh, accurate? I want you to really consider it, but let's start this entire journey, and I don't know how far this is going to go, but just remember, in the Sermon and Bible Study Notes section, I'll be posting additional sermons on this. I may bring this problem to the pulpit at Victory Baptist Church and have everyone at Victory Baptist Church try to uh, figure this out as well. Who knows? Um, sometimes when I bring up an issue, I just it depends on resp response determines um, a lot of times how far I take it and how far I continue to work it. No response, then you're like, okay, well, maybe we just move on to something else. So we'll see. But it should be a good exercise for anyone listening to this who cares about hermeneutics. Are you ready? All right, here is Greg Kokel. I don't know when the program originally aired, but it aired here in Abilene last night, or yeah, Sunday night. Um, I, I think the phone call came in... Um, from our local time, 5.40, 5.45 p.m. Central Time, as I was driving on uh, on my way from Abilene to Ovalo, Texas, to Victory Baptist Church. I was listening carefully. Um, I hate when I get the, I'm like, wait, I'm trying to grab a piece of paper. I'm trying to write while I'm trying to drive. Um, um, but I, I was sitting there thinking about the whole thing, going, oh, this is good. I almost walked into church Sunday night and just said, hey, guys, we're going to study 1 Timothy 2 tonight um, and just make it an impromptu study. But I did not do that. Um, but I did want to at least use this for the Hermeneutics 101 podcast. And I hope, oh, I hope that you will dig in and you will study. And this will, uh, again, give you not just a love for hermeneutics and biblical interpretation, but uh, just get, give you practice in doing it because that's the way you'll learn it. So here is Greg Hochul, Stand to Reason, aired last night here in Abilene, Texas. And listen to him offer his interpretation to 1 Timothy 2.12 after you hear his Set his aside, do your own work, then, list, then, con, then consider all the interpretations you can find and try to come up with a true interpretation. And, and, we, we'll, and we'll talk, there's a lot of things we could talk about here, but I'll stop right there. All right. Have a great evening, great morning, whenever this is. If you need any help or if you want to share your study with me or your thoughts on this passage, email me at newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you discovered. Show me your work. Uh, ask any questions. I'll, I'll, if I don't have the ability to answer it, I'll find the answer for you. All right. Have a great night. God bless. Here is uh, Greg Kokel, Stand to Reason, from last night. And, and when I say um, have a good night, I know I don't know what time you're going to listen to this. So whatever time it is, have a good whatever it is. Morning, day, I don't know. Whatever time it may be, have a good one. But most importantly, consider carefully what you're about to hear. Here's Greg Kokel from Stand to Reason. Well, I did want to ask, last week you had a gentleman on your segment, probably towards the end, uh, and you talked about uh, pat w women being pastors. Correct. And you had mentioned First Timothy 3, and right. that was the, the qualifications for overseers and deacons. Yeah. Uh, but you had also mentioned... 
First Timothy two, and you said you wouldn't go into it about what you really felt that really sure you felt like yeah you felt like that had meant something else. But right. I wanted to know what was it I meant? Time, <laughs> yeah, you said at the time you couldn't expand on it. I wanted to know if you could expand on that. I like I like to get your take on that if you don't mind. No, of course uh, I'd be glad to do that. Uh, so this is First Timothy chapter two. Um, this is a passage that is frequently. Uh, pressed into service to limit um, women's involvement in in leadership roles in the Church. And I'm just going to read it now out of the New American Standard, okay? And um, here is the way the passage, relevant passage, uh, reads. I'm starting in in verse 11, okay? Uh, Let me start in verse 9, because there's a change that you need to notice. Like, he says, verse 8, I want men— in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Good. Likewise, I want women—now we're talking about a group, right?—to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, discreetly, not with braided hair and gold pearls, costly garments, but rather with good works. Okay? Verse 11. A woman—that's the way the next verse starts—a woman. Now he's not talking about the group. He's talking about a definite article. Hmm. A woman, all right, let's keep reading. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Okay. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but Eve, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so there's more there, but I just want to focus on this passage, okay? Now, this is the passage that is meant to be the proof text for women not being in pastoral roles. Actually, sometimes they're given pastoral roles, but they're not called pastors. (laughs) It seems to me it doesn't matter what they're called. It matters what they do. Yeah. Okay. Well, it says here, well, really what's going on is it doesn't say that a woman shouldn't teach at all, but this phrase, exercise authority over a man, has a suggestion of usurping authority. So as long as the woman pastor is under a male pastor, then that makes it okay for her. And see, what happens is people, they look at this, they don't want to say, okay, no women woman says anything in the church, because that's kind of what it says. It's, I mean, at the, at the, the, the kind of a bare reading, that's what it seems. They don't want to say that. That's too. So then they, they find all of these kind of little nuances that, and in my view, they got one foot on the, on the a pier and one foot in the boat, and they're rocking back and forth. They're yeah. going to fall into the drink. It's this untenable kind of way of dealing with it. And it's not necessary, because there is a very simple solution to this. The Greek word translated woman is um, gune, like G-U-N-E, all right? The Greek word translated man is aner, A-N-E-R, and that's what they are in this passage. Gune, gune, woman, aner, man. By the way, that's not the only way to translate gune and aner. Gune is also the Greek word for wife. I noticed that. Uh, uh, on-air is the Greek word for husband. Well, how do you know when it's a gune and on-air, whether you translate it um, w- woman uh, or or wife or on-air 
you know, which way, which way do they go? Gune for woman or how do you know what to do? And the, and the answer is it's always the context. When you look at all the other passages, and I've done this where these words appear, when it's clear that the two are not involved with each other intimately, personally, then um, then they're translated man and woman. Um, but w- w- there are a couple of exceptions, only two that I can think of. And um, and when they're when they're together in kind of uh, intimate kind of situation, well, they're translated husband and wife because it seems like the context calls for that. This chapter is one of the exceptions. Now, I want you to think now about the language. I'm going to read the passage over again, because what it says of a woman is that she must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Verse 11. Okay. Verse 12. Remain quiet. The man talks with authority, not you. Are you married? I am. Okay. If on, uh, on this reading, your wife has to be entirely submissive to me. She's a woman. I'm a man. She must receive my instruction with entire submissiveness on this reading of this passage. Whoops. That does not sound quite right, does it? In fact, on this reading, it seems to me that every woman in the body of Christ has to be responsive to his submissive to every man. That's ludicrous. And given the fact that this is a an on-air and a gune together with the gune receiving instruction with entire submissiveness to the on-air, gee, that seems to be more appropriate to translate that husband and wife. So it would say, I want the women to adorn themselves, the men to pray, the women to adorn themselves, but when it comes to a woman, a wife... She must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, for I do not allow a woman to usurp the authority or exercise authority over a husband. But to me, quiet, for Adam was made, created first, and then Eve. That makes perfect sense. There's not a speed bump in the entire thing when you translate it that way. Still with me? Yes, yes, sorry, I'm... Just waiting, just listening. Yeah. So what this means is, this means is that this passage has nothing to do, no application at all to church leadership, as people have tried to employ it in in awkward, convoluted ways. It's not even speaking to that. It's speaking to the relationship of a husband and a wife in terms of spiritual leadership. And by the way, this does not prohibit a, a, a wife from teaching her husband something, but rather that she not be the teacher. Okay? So, I mean, there's something in the Greek here that indicates that. She can have uh, moments of instructing about something, but she's not the teacher. The husband is the teacher. That's the Jewish tradition. That's the Christian New Testament tradition. I mean, it's no speed bumps. It's perfectly consistent. And if you want to say, well, it was Adam first and not Eve. That's not just Adam the first man and Eve the first woman, but it was Adam the first husband and Eve the first wife. So the parallel is not destroyed if you understand it in that way. And by the way, the only other passage I found where the pattern of uh, translation was not followed consistently when Aner and, and, and Gune are together in 
clearly an interactive relationship is in uh, the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, where it says that, that man is the head of woman, and Christ is the head of man, and God is the head of Christ. You know that passage? Yes. Yeah, well, it's the same situation there. It's on Aaron Gune. And I, I don't, you know, I don't think that Paul is teaching that every man is ahead of every woman. That means your your wife is under me, and my wife is under you. I think it's saying that there's a pattern of leadership in the family, and the husband is the head of the wife, and he's he is accountable to Christ, who is the head of the church, and Christ is submissive to the Father. Okay, and and that again, no speed bumps there. Thank you. I, that's a really interesting take on adding up. Really, I've been doing studies about it recently. I've got uh, kind of a relative who's going to a church, a local church that has a a woman as a pastor, and and so I've just been kind of uh, questioning that. Is really and and his mindset was really well. I don't really want to question her call. Oh and, yeah, that. Oh, don't don't even get me started. Question her call. Well, this is the very question: whether she has a call or not. Just yeah. the, the question is whether it's biblical. Now, yeah. I I would not discount if if this woman is the head pastor. Is she the head pastor, or just part of the pastoral staff? She's she's a co pastor. She's the one who founded it, and uh, then oh, yeah. she okay. kind of brought somebody. Then up she is at, a de facto elder. Yes. Yes. And chapter three says no, no, no on that. That's what I figured. Yeah, that's my take. That's what we talked about last week. And uh, But chapter 2, some people would invoke that. I don't think it's fair to invoke that. It's not related to that. So on my view, then, women cannot be head pastors or elders because a head pastor is an elder, or even an associate pastor in an elder role, in a de facto elder role. But as long as she's under the leadership of the rest of the, the uh, group, then she can do all kinds of functions in the church. I don't see any restriction at all. What about teaching men? Where does it say that a woman can't teach a man? Only if she can't be the teacher of her husband. That's all in chapter 2. So I, I I think that sometimes this is an occasion where the translation has been influenced a little bit by bias, and that's why it doesn't say husband or wife. I'm curious what, you know, I, I, I've, I've been holding this view for years. I've never heard anybody give me anything like a fair refutation, especially when I'm looking at the context, and it just says, you know, a woman must receive qu- quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. What relationship is that in the Church? Minimally, I mean, that's the, if at all, if anything, it's, it's the marital relationship. But, um, you know, as testified by Ephesians 5 and Titus 2 and other passages, 1 Peter chapter 3, that say the same thing. So I think this is, um, this is in that category. Hey, I hope that's helpful, Mason, and uh, thank you for the call. Glad to clarify that. This is the end of our first hour of this week. Uh, Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. Give them heaven. Bye-bye. <laughs> 